0: Welcome to american outdoor news today we 're here with uh, Craig Boddington, Craig. Thanks for taking the time as usual.
1: Well, thanks for having me chris it 's good to see you and you look you look healthy and happy and so obviously you 've survived this mess okay
0: yeah, well, the staying home part wasn 't uh, wasn 't that good, but uh, we did what we needed to do
1: well i don 't think i 've been home this long since I was in high school and this would have been my 50th reunion, but of course, it wasn't held because of the because of the virus.
0: Wow. Now, how has this affected your hunts for the year? Gone. <laughs> All of them.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm still hopeful that some things in the fall will, will happen, but I think I had some things planned in the spring and, and nothing happened. Uh, you know, everything rolled forward to next year, the year after, and that's just the way it goes. I... I think in the fall things are gonna be a little bit better. Uh, the one thing I haven't done is I haven't gotten on an airplane since March and that's, that's unusual for me and not in a hurry, but uh, the other day I got word that I drew a goat tag in Montana. So been, I've been applying for that one since 1971. Wow, and you yeah it too, right? took, took a long time and finally <laughs> grew that. So I'll actually drive up and take my own saddle and life's good.
0: Wow. So that's uh that's what, like a ten hour drive for you?
1: Oh no, more than that, but but it's a, a long day, it's doable.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you've had a pretty celebrated career in the outdoor industry. You've won multiple awards. Um, you uh, you won the Weatherby award a few years ago, uh, the capstick award, the loophole award, the Conklin award. Um, wow. That's, that's something.
1: I've been lucky. I've had a pretty good run.
0: At, at what point in your career did you realize that you had become a famous hunter? (laughs) <laughs>
1: well, I really never have i am I'm, I'm kinda <laughs> uncomfortable with that chris i mean i I love what I do and I've been doing it for a long time and hopefully I can do it for a a little while longer but but i you know there there are some words that are like fingernails on a blackboard to me, and when somebody uses the word celebrity, it drives me insane because I'm just a guy who's been lucky and made a living doing what we, we love to do. And, and the, other, the other description that uh, is like fingernails on a blackboard is, is professional hunter. I, I'm not. I, I'm a journalist who hunts. And uh, professional hunters are licensed and go through apprenticeships in various countries around the world. And uh, for me, that's a pretty honorable profession. But, but I'm just a journalist.
0: Well, you've written over 4,000 articles. Uh, 25 books
1: Yeah, up to 29.
0: Now I've been busy 29. the last
1: couple of years.
0: Wow. And you just came out with, um, you just came out with, um, uh, Buffalo too. Yes. Okay. Now what made you come out with a second part to that? Well, but uh, I did Buffalo some years ago and, and I'm happy
1: with it. it. It's fine. There's nothing wrong in it. But but uh, I wrote that book. Oh, now the best part of 15 years ago, and uh, I, I know more now than I did then. And the last the last few years, we've been spending a, a lot of time uh, in Mozambique, which is which is, hell, it's all great. But we've been spending a lot of time there, and the swamp hunting there is just so much different than than your typical tracking hunt and, you know, in Zimbabwe or Tanzania or places. And so I, I just, I know more now. And and the other thing is when I, when I wrote that a buffalo is a buffalo is a buffalo. It, it really doesn't change that much from one, one end of the continent to the other. But uh, at the time I wrote that I, I hadn't had a chance to hunt the Nile buffalo in Uganda. And, and although I'd hunted them, I I hadn't been successful on a, the dwarf forest buffalo, which is, by far the the smallest, but the most difficult. And uh, I'd tried, but I hadn't been successful. And so I thought, you know, I I'm, this is my final word on Buffalo as far as books go. But but uh, I thought I know a lot more now, and I can I can do a more thorough job and really kind of add to what I might have missed.
0: So what's the difference in in the varied species of buffalo in, in the hunt? Is it more the terrain than the animal itself? Uh, I know, I it's, in, in general, they're, they're pretty pissed off animals. <laughs> well,
1: I, I think it's, it's really the terrain and the vegetation. Now, I mean, they, they change a lot. I mean, the Southern Cape buffalo that we all think about is, is big and black and a, a, a bull weigh 1,500 pounds. Uh, as you get as you get further west in Africa across central Africa and that that huge bulge of of west Africa they get smaller uh, they get smaller in the body and the horn and you also they're not black anymore you start to see a lot of brown and red in in every herd now yeah the majority of bulls will still be very dark mature bulls but you'll still see red buffalo bulls that are perfectly mature and, and they're kind of as uh, almost burnt orange red. They, they can right. be, and the horns get smaller. So in, you know, if you go across to oh Cameroon uh, in the north, there the, the savanna buffalo, they're weigh 1,000 a, a pounds. So they're a third smaller. And then you drop south down into the forest zone where you have the, the true forest buffalo and they're tiny they're they're 500 550 pounds with very small horns and and they're all red they're almost never completely black so they they change a lot but the hunting is the same except for the vegetation and you get into real thick country then then it's more dangerous and more exciting the people there where they hunt In West Africa and Central Africa, they maintain their buffalo are are more aggressive than the southern buffalo. I I don't believe it. I think it's just so much thicker that you tend to bump them at a lot closer range.
0: Now, you've hunted, what, over 300 plus species um, all over the world. Where is uh, your favorite place to
1: hunt? Ooh, that's... both hard and easy. Uh, I mean, favorite hunt is always either the, the next hunt or the last hunt. Uh, I love it all. I mean, I'm, I'm a nut for it. I was out over the weekend uh, hunting pigs here in California, and I just, I still absolutely love that. Uh, you know, we're North American hunters, and so North American hunting is is hard to beat, and I don't know of any place on earth that's beautiful than, than the real wilderness in western canada and and alaska it's just just gorgeous now the animal density isn't there you want to see a lot of animals on whitetail in pennsylvania or or my place in kansas uh but but that's beautiful country but but africa is also pretty darn hard to beat because of the variety you you never know what you're going to see on a
0: given day so you really don't have a preference in animal it's
1: we have our favorites. Uh, I mean, like everybody in, in, in the US, I, I love what my, love my whitetail hunting. Crazy about that. And really all the deer species, but more whitetail than, than anything else. Uh, I enjoy that a lot. Uh, I, I'm kind of a nut on bears, but nobody can find an excuse to do an awful lot of bear hunting. Uh, I love the mountain game because I love the high country. Uh, it doesn't matter where it is. I, I love the mountains, uh, but that's also stuff that we're not going to be able to do every year. It's, the permits are scarce and it's yeah. hard to come by. I mean, I told you I drew a goat tag in Montana and that's, that's exciting. And I've drawn a couple of good sheep tags here in the U S and hopefully I, I may live long enough to draw a couple more. Although I don't know, cause I've now, been pretty lucky.
0: Yeah, a goat hunt is a pretty physically demanding hunt. Now, you suffered a a heart attack in Uganda in 2014 uh how has that changed how do you prepare for a hunt like this
1: well it it does change you because it was a really close call it was it was actually 2011 so long time ago now uh And I'm fine. I see the cardiologist every year, and he tells me to go away, and he'll see me next year, which is great news. (laughs) That's incredible. I'm I'm totally fine. But, you know, uh, it was a wake-up call because uh, at that time, I I still thought I was bulletproof and invincible and kind of showed me that, that I'm not. So I work pretty hard at staying in shape. But quite honestly, I don't push myself as hard as I used to. Uh, yeah. You kind of learn you gotta gotta know your limitations, and so i I do stay in shape but i, I don 't push myself as hard as I once did.
0: well, the older we get, the tougher it gets, and uh, you approach game differently um, uh, the more strenuous hunts I guess as we get older we gotta leave that to the younger guys well yeah. i ha- i haven 't yet
1: seen one that i can't do but I go at it a little bit slower than I used to (laughs) got to take your time
0: now what was the most compromising hunt you've been on or most compromising situation well
1: the first Marco Polo hunt in in 98 uh, I got altitude sick and that was that was bad I mean it, it was really bad and you know that's that's an insidious disease because it's so random it it has nothing to do with with age or or fitness or uh, obesity or lack thereof it can hit anybody and mm-hmm. that's why serious mountain climbers may suddenly succumb to it on their 30th or 40th or 50th ascent because it's it's random never had it before never had it since but i was really really sick it it was it was, a, it was bad and I, I managed to, to get a ram on that hunt, but truthfully, I don't even remember much of it. I was just going through the motions. And uh, so it was tough, that, that was a bad one. Uh, again, the only way you can ward it off is look for the signs and try to stay in shape. And, and uh, you know, that on a genuine altitude hunt, uh, I'll see a doctor before I go. And I take yeah. diamox, which is a, a standard prescription, and it's a miracle thing for me. That that works. I start taking diamox 48 hours out if if I'm going to be above about 10,000 feet. I don't worry about it up till that, uh, but above 10,000, I'll I'll start taking diamox 48 hours out.
0: Well, it seems uh, like the past year or so, you've been on a lot of those hunts where uh, in high altitude.
1: Yes, I you know I, I like the mountains, and I'm. I, normally I'm not affected by altitude. Again, that was back in 98. Good heavens, that's a long time ago now and never any, never any further problems. But, but I, I watched the signs. They, they wanted to take me down, which is always the right answer. And I refused, yeah, yeah. which was stupid, but I had Diamox and I, I, I had not been taking it because I thought, well, I'm young enough and I'm strong enough. I was, I was, uh, I uh, still in the Marines at the time, and I thought, I don't need that stuff. And uh, when I got sick, I started taking it, and fortunately, it worked. In about 48 hours, I was as good as I was going to get.
0: Now, you did, uh, what, 20-plus 20, 20 years in the Marines? Uh, 31. 31 years. How do you do that?
1: <laughs> I didn't know to quit. <laughs> I didn't know when to quit. I had a wonderful time. I, I really did. I still keep in touch with, with some of the guys. In fact, uh, tomorrow I'm, I'm driving up to Oregon. Uh, uh, a lot of the guys I went through the NROTC program with and, and the basic school at Quantico were, were, happened to be from Oregon State. And several of us have, have stayed friends. So we're having a little reunion up there over the weekend. So I still keep in touch with, with quite a few of the
0: guys. It's always good to see old friends. Yes, it is. Now you were writing uh, as an outdoor writer while you were still in the Corps, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I started,
1: I started trying to uh, sell stories when I was in, Oh, even in high school, I would say, you know, a lot of my colleagues, look at you with a straight face and say that they sold the first story that, uh, that they ever submitted and never looked back. And I can't say that, man, I built up a boxcar full of rejection notices before I, I sold my first piece, but it took time, but, but it's gotten better. And so I was doing a lot of freelance work in the Marines. And of course, a lot of my time was reserved. So I, I could really pursue both careers.
0: Now, With so many books and and articles under your belt, and uh, your experience in uh, editing and publishing with varied uh, um, publications, what kind of advice do you give somebody just starting out wanting to be an outdoor writer?
1: Well, uh, don't do what I did. Um, I've got an English degree, uh, which is good. I use it every day, obviously. Uh, but I would, I would strongly recommend uh, at least courses in journalism and photojournalism and communications. Uh, you know, this is still not an industry where any kind of a college credential is required. It, it's certainly not, but, but the more you know, the better off you are. So I, I think uh, anything in the, in the J school a journalism course of study. English degree is useful. Communications is valuable. Uh, but anything along those lines, as far as you can go with it is, is really helpful because you will use it every day. And my biggest mistake, and it's still my, my, my career failing is I'm a lousy photographer. Uh, so take a lot of pictures and if you take enough, you'll get one or two good ones. But, but, start early, start really early with a a decent digital camera and and really learn how to use it and learn how to do studio photography, which I'm terrible at, as my editors will tell you, Uh, but learn how to do studio photography and and really, because, you know, some of the old timers that, that we revere, like, like, uh, uh, Elmer Keith and, uh, Charlie Askins and, and the the old-timers who were still around when I got started, uh, they were terrible photographers and if they if they started today despite their knowledge, I'm not sure they could sell their first story. so so really consider the writing as one line and the photography is another learn how to do both and, and put them together and you'll you'll very much be a leg up and and the other thing is, you have to recognize that it's it's a difficult field because there is no mandatory retirement. Heck, there's there's no retirement plan. So I mean, guys like me don't step aside and and let the young bucks in. We we should, and I have helped out a lot of young writers and and always try to. But uh, we're not going to go away. We we can do this as long as as health and mental acuity remains, and so. You know, when you come in in your 20s, you're competing with guys in their 60s and even 70s, sometimes 80s, who've been doing this for 50, 60 years. And, and that's tough because mm-hmm. the, the field has not gotten bigger. Uh, so you you have to really be persistent. You have to believe in yourself and uh, make sure you have the hide of a rhinoceros because you're going to get rejections.
0: Tough <laughs> <laughs> for the course. Now, you have the uncanny ability to really sit down anywhere and just bang out a story. You could be in the middle of a party and write a story. How do you do that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of able to shut things off and, and do that. It, uh, it often drives uh, uh, Donna and my kids insane. Uh, but when it's, time to, when it's time to meet a deadline, I can shut them off. And I do unfortunately often quite brutally Uh, don't mean to it's just uh, the way I do it but but I I can shut things off and concentrate and uh, I've often said that I that I can write during an artillery barrage and have Uh, I, I shut things off pretty darn well now it's not necessary to do that everybody works in in different ways you know, some people have to have an absolutely quiet place and, and go off by themselves. And that's perfectly fine, too. But you have to learn what you need to do to, to really concentrate and get the job done.
0: Well, you've had a, a long, unbelievable career. Uh, to you, and I know it would be different for me, what are, what are some of the highlights of your career for, for you? Wow. Well, uh, you know,
1: I think the very best years I spent was, uh, uh, when I was at Peterson publishing, uh, and I was, uh, there in the office from, uh, you know, one of the problem with the younger guys is, is they, they tend to think that, uh, this is just going to happen. Uh, so I had a full-time office job for 15 years from '79 into the into the '90s, and uh, went to the office every day, if unless I was out of town. And uh, but that was a magic time because Bob Peterson uh, was such a great boss, and my boss Ken Elliott was was fantastic. Uh, they're both gone now, but they were great people. And uh, as a young editor, I had a chance to work with some. Fantastic writers. Uh, my my best mentors, I think, were probably uh, Bob Millick and John Wooters. Uh, both of them gone now, but their work is still out there. And uh, they kind of took the new kid uh, under their wing, and that was fantastic. Uh, uh, so I, I was a uh, an office pogue for that 15 years. I left the office in '93, uh, early '94, and have just been been writing purely writing under contract since then. And, and I enjoy that. I, 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 really do. But, uh, uh, the time I spent at Peterson publishing was such great preparation for everything else. And, and quite honestly, when I was a kid, I had a real tough scout master. He'd been a POW in world war II, and he was a tough old guy. And, uh, obviously then I went off to the Marines and, and I learned so much from both boy scouts and, uh, and what I learned in the Marines, and that's also stuff that I use every single day.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, um, two questions in closing. Um, You've hunted six continents, 300 game species plus. Where is your favorite place to
1: hunt? Well, again, uh, the last hunt or the next hunt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i mean that seriously because i look forward to everything and look back on 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 everything uh but i uh, and somebody i've spent a lot of time in africa and somebody once once commented that uh once asked me he said well do you are you still interested in hunting north america well i was terribly offended uh because of course i am i mean of, of course i am but but uh uh, Africa's pretty hard to beat, mainly because of the variety. you just don't know what you're going to see and and so i a lot of my books have been about africa and and uh, some of the more successful ones so you know that's that's been important to me and i I love it dearly uh, I would have been uh, in zambia with with brittany's husband my my uh, son in law uh, in in um, April, and of course that didn't happen because of the covid, but we'll reschedule it so I'm not done there
0: yet. When was your first hunt to Africa? What year? Uh,
1: Kenya 1977.
0: How have things changed since then? Can you oh, gosh. Back
1: and- so much. I, uh, I was a first lieutenant in the Marines at the time. Of course, that was peacetime, and we could plan a leave, and we could schedule something with some certainty it was going to happen. So I did, and I saved my pennies for years So I could get Africa out of my system once and for all. And that didn't work particularly well, but, but it's changed in, in 77 Kenya was on its last legs. It was still a fantastic hunt, but I I didn't know that. Uh, So Africa has changed. It's, it's become more specialized and certainly it's become more expensive, but after all, so is everything else. And, uh, you know, Plains game hunting in Southern Africa is still the, the best bargain in the entire hunting world. Uh, you know, we, I do outfitting in a very small way on my Kansas place. And good heavens for what I charge for a week's whitetail hunt. You can still go to either South Africa and Namibia and have a, a great hunt and shoot a half a dozen animals.
0: That's great. <laughs> if you could only hunt one game, to, uh, one species today, what would it be?
1: Oh, I'd have to stick with white-tailed deer. Wow. that really would.
0: That's follow surprising. I, I would have thought it would have been the King Quickly Buffalo. by Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought it would have been. <laughs> All right, great. I appreciate your time, and um, glad to have you on the cover in our uh, fall issue.
1: Well, Chris, thank you so much. Listen, it's good to be with you. And uh, now, uh, while you're out there, don't pet or talk to any strange viruses you promise
0: i can't promise that
1: (laughs) we love our children we protect them we guide them we prepare them for life in the world with all that we do from deep in our hearts we cannot control all things life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year while we cannot change the circumstance we can make dreams come true dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.